0: Tonight I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 66 in your Bibles, or to follow along in the screen behind me. Tonight I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 66, next Sunday in Psalm 67. These are book end Psalms that encourage us to be thankful in the way that we look at life and especially the work of our God. So tonight, Psalm 66, in preparation for Thanksgiving Day, in just a few days from now. And then, as I said, Psalm 67 next Sunday evening as we reflect on Thanksgiving past. So first from Psalm 67, turn your heart to God and hear his word as I read it for you. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you that my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of God. Yesterday evening, you would not have to have guessed my emotion. My wife could hear me shouting from the living room. My beloved Hawkeyes were tied 10-10 in the fourth quarter. Four minutes left. The opposing team was driving down the field and the opposing quarterback threw a pass into the flat which was tipped and intercepted by my Hawkeyes and down the field ran the linebacker toward the end zone. It was almost... It was almost impossible for me not to shout in celebration for what had occurred. If someone would have come to me earlier that day and said, Jeff, you have to cheer for the Hawkeyes, I may have felt a duty to do so. But in the moment, watching something great happen moved me beyond a sense of obligation to a sense of, I want to be happy. I want to celebrate what is occurring. So often the matter of thanksgiving goes beyond obligation to real heart desire because of what has happened. That's when thanksgiving is really genuine. I could preach this sermon to you tonight, pointing out that there are about a half a dozen commands at the beginning of these various psalm phrases. These are imperatives. They are a call to us to shout to God, to listen to what we are saying, to listen to the testimony of what God has done. If I were to preach this sermon and say to you, you must be thankful to the Lord, it would not be unfaithful, it just wouldn't be deep. Because the depth of what the psalmist says in Psalm 67 goes beyond the obligation to the reason why our hearts are thankful. And that's really what I want to stress to you tonight, three reasons Why your thanks should go beyond the obligation to the heartfelt desire. And let me list those reasons for you. The first set of reasons comes in the first four verses. There you notice at the beginning it is addressed to the nations. It says, shout for joy to God all the earth. The earth there isn't the sort of thing you can't see now because the snow is on top of it. The earth the psalmist is talking about is everyone who walks on the earth. We have hints of that later on in the psalm. This is addressed to all those who will hear what the psalmist has to say. He is addressing even people who would not confess the Israelite God. He is saying to them, praise my God. Why does he say that? The clue comes in these verses when he talks about the power of God. In verse three, he says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds? So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Here's the first reason why there is this call for a thanksgiving to go beyond the obligation to the heartfelt reason. It is the awesome power of God. I could not have ordered up a better week. After which to preach, after which to now preach this sermon than the week that came before. Because we just saw a magnificent display of the power of God and thankfully not with a massive loss of life. There are places where we see that power in display. Think of the hurricane that went through Florida not that long ago. For all the millions and billions of dollars that were spent in anticipation of precisely something like that occurring, you can't help but notice the devastation the hurricane brought. Can you imagine somebody standing outside of his or her door as the hurricane came barreling in and standing there and shouting at the top of his or her lungs, I command you to stop. Stop. All of the neighbors would have looked and said, who in the world is going crazy? Martha, it's time to move from the neighborhood. The same thing occurs when we view something like the snow that came this previous week. For all the hassle that occurred, including getting stuck in one ditch or another, there's nothing we could do to stop it. It is obvious that as much as we want to pretend to ourselves, we're in control of our world, we're in control of our lives, snow comes and we end up being stuck at home. There is something beyond ourselves who has far greater power than we possess. And that's what the psalmist is noting in the first four verses. He is saying, praise the Lord, even you nations who do not recognize the God of Israel because he is a God of incredible, magnificent power. Perhaps you marvel at the power of God and the intricacy of a cell, the immensity of our galaxy or the amazing interdependence of our world. In 1960, the Princeton psych, uh, a physicist and subsequent Nobel Prize winner, whose name is Eugene Wigner, raised a fundamental question. And for those of you who are intellectually bent, he asked the question, why does the natural world, as far as we know it, always obey what we perceive as the law of mathematics? In fact, did you know that Einstein's 1915 general theory of relativity was based on a theoretical mathematical formula developed 50 years before by a German mathematician? It was based on theoretical math that Einstein developed his theory that eventually was proved to be true. And the question that has been asked about our world is, how does that make sense, especially if there is no one or nothing that has ordered it as a whole? If there is no being of power and of order, how can this be? Sir Isaac Newton had written hundreds of years before the most elegant system of the sun, planets, and comets could not have arisen without the design and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being he knew as the God of the Scriptures. And so Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20, that God's power has been on display. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. Is that not amazing? Wherever you look, my friend, even tonight, if you would say, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not a follower of the Bible. Still, I want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself the question, this wide and wonderful world that you have the privilege of living in, when your foot hits the dirt and you breathe this air into your lungs and your body extracts the oxygen and you continue to live and the synapses in your brain are firing, should you not ask the question, who made all this? What kind of divine being, or at least being, has made all of this possible, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Praise the God whose power is on display. So that even when it's dark tonight and you're driving home, maybe your teenager or maybe even your toddler will look outside and say, Mommy, Daddy, what a beautiful world. And I say to you, whether you are young or old, and perhaps by your age jaded a touch, jaded about the beauty of this world, the power that is demonstrated by God. Would you open your heart tonight to this first reason why you should praise the Lord? Because he is a God of absolute power. Magnificent. There is no other being, to put it this way, who is worthy of the praise that a human being could offer. No other being than the God that is found in the first four verses. Reason number one, why your praise should go beyond the obligation to heartfelt is because the God who is described in the Bible is a God of tremendous power. There is no one like him. There is no other being. It is God and God alone. But there's a second reason as well, and I want to show you that from verses 5 through 15. Even if you're not much of a mathematician, you can see this is the bulk of the psalm. And so I want to spend most of our time talking about this second reason. The psalmist invites us to a place where we can see God's work in action in the history of how he is taking care of his people. And you'll notice in this first part of this section, the verses 5 through 15, he recounts how God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. Do you see that? He delivered them from the greatest power that existed in the world at the time. That is the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh who said, these people are my slaves. I will not allow them to even have straw to make bricks. In came the God of power and said, I will let my people go. I will force you to let my people go. Look at the wonders that I can do. There's no God like me. And that power on display meant that God was able to save. And these verses say that God does that in the sight of the nations. He wants the power in his world to be demonstrated, especially in the way that he cares for his people. Or to put it in a very personal way tonight, there is nothing more precious to God, there's nothing more beautiful to our Lord than you, the one that our God has set his affection upon. And not only has God saved the people of Israel, He has used that great power to redeem them from the nation of Egypt. But there's a second thing that God talks about doing in these verses as well. Not only is He powerful in salvation, but if you look at verse 10, it says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net and laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have. And I'll tell you what he has done in just a moment. It may seem strange to you that the psalmist, after talking about the tremendous power of God to deliver, to save, as a reason for giving thanks, for heartfelt thanks, not obligatory thanks, but heartfelt thanks, moves immediately to a recollection of trouble. In the nation of Israel, this would be played out by the Israelites as they're taken away into captivity. But it's played out in a thousand other ways before that. God testing and trying his people. Think of the book of Judges, for example. This is a God who not only saved his people from slavery in Egypt, but he also worked that salvation in them so there were people who were being conformed more and more to the likeness of what was godly. In other words, this this saving grace is now demonstrated in God's sanctifying grace. And you might say to yourself, what a strange reason for the psalmist to ask us to praise the Lord. Or to put it in the vernacular, if you might say, praise the Lord for the most difficult things that God has done in your life this year. Who's ready to do that? Maybe you're in that difficult circumstance now, and you look back over this year and you don't feel thankfulness for that. You're like most of us, including me. When's it going to be done so I can move on to easier times? When is God going to deliver me? When is he going to answer my prayer? It could be all sorts of things. It could be jobs, could be relationships, could be health, could be a spiritual struggle with sin. It could be a whole list of things. Our natural inclination is to say, God, deliver me, bring me through this as quickly as possible so that I can be on the other side. But you notice the psalmist is not rushing through that. He is saying like the writer of Hebrews does later on in the New Testament, this is God disciplining his children. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes so far as to say, if your father doesn't discipline you, does it mean that you're illegitimate children? Does it demonstrate your father's no interest in you if he never disciplines you? Of course it does. Because our God's love is demonstrated not only in the magnificent, wonderful work of salvation. Here's the truth. God's love is also demonstrated in the difficult times of correction, molding, and changing us. For the Israelites, this is part of the grand gospel story of the Old Testament. It begins with God's people As Moses writes in the Pentateuch, not because they were more attractive to God than any other people, but rather because God set his love upon them, it is the sole reason that he would save these people. You may ask the same question, and that is, why would God save me? Why would God continue to work in me? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Notice the motivation of God. It's not because you're more wonderful than any other person. It's simply, the writer says, because God loved you. 1 John 4, verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He would be wrong of me to say, well, your relationship with God is only going to be as solid as your love at every moment for him. That's the opposite. You are called to love him. You're called to follow him. But the foundation of your relationship with God from the time of the earliest patriarchs to now is rooted in God's love for you. Can you see why that's a reason for celebration? Again, you can look back with regret on all sorts of things in your life. I know as some of us become older, we can think back on many things that we regret, many things we wish we would have done differently. But let me ask you to sort of change the way you think about your history. Try to think about your history in a Psalm 66 way. Not as a whole series of regrets, not things you wished would have been different, not all the burdens and laments of this life, but to think of your history in the same way that God is asking the Israelites to think about theirs, that is to revel, to be thankful In the salvation He has given for us, the fullness of of salvation that has come in Jesus Christ, it is the most magnificent demonstration of the power of God in history, greater than earthquakes and hurricanes and 18 inches of snow. Greater than that is the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. That is the power of God on real display. Had to think of all the amazing things in your world That love is given to you. And even in those places in which you sense difficulty in life, do not think they are because God hates you, rather they are the places in which God is molding you and shaping you. So let me encourage you, as the psalmist does in these verses, to respond in worship You'll notice he says here in verse 12, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. It's not just that he says you should be thankful. Sing for praise. Listen to what I'm saying. He says, Israelites, do not stop at simply thinking to yourself, God has saved me. God is sanctifying me. No, move into worship. Offer yourself everything that you are in thanksgiving to God. In the Old Testament, the burnt offerings were the most fundamental offering. It's the offering he's talking about here. They represented the wholeness, in a sense, of all the offerings that were given by God's people to God. And here they seem to represent this truth, the wholeness of worship that we are called to offer to our God. Not because we understand everything that's happening, not because all of it is easy, but simply because God has set his love on us and we can see that love even in the most challenging of times. If you're struggling to have a heart-motivated thanksgiving to God, I don't mean to be trite, but I'll offer it to you. Would you please go back and read those places in the Scriptures that talk about the way that God cared for His people? That will move you to thanksgiving. The ways in which God, even in the most trying times with the Israelites, my mind goes immediately to the book of Isaiah, where there's such a tenderness... The tenderness described, or maybe the book of Hosea, where there's this kindness shown to God's people. How can you read that and not be moved to overwhelming thanksgiving when you place yourself within the story of the Scriptures? This is not the story of simply Old Testament people or early New Testament saints. This is our story. This is our life. This is our world. Meditate on those things. Consider them. Ask how they have been worked in your life and then move your thanksgiving beyond the obligation to heartfelt because of what God has done. So if the power of God and the saving work of God are two fundamental reasons for giving thanks, here's the third one and this is where the psalmist ends, verses 16 through 20. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you What he has done for my soul. Maybe some of you have super good memories. (laughs) Better than my memory. I'm going to kind of pull back the curtain and tell you how I write sermons. I go to this psalm, I do some translation, I ask questions that come to mind as I'm working through this passage, and I seek to answer them. It's in my file what's called Psalm 66 Notes. It goes into the same file as my sermon. So right next would be Psalm 66. After that would be Psalm 66 notes. I completed the notes. I was sitting down to write the sermon. I went to save the first part of this Psalm 66 sermon, and I realized, you know what I'm going to say, there was another file saved that was Psalm 66. I thought, well, that's curious. I wonder when the last time is that I spoke in Psalm 66. Do you know? This is embarrassing. Last Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, if I ask you, do you remember what I preached on three weeks ago? And you're like, yeah, I don't remember. That's fine. I wrote the sermon and I didn't remember. When I spoke in Psalm 66, very briefly, last Thanksgiving, I focused on verse 16. Where it says, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Here's the third reason to offer heartfelt thanksgiving to the Lord. You can kind of see how this psalm functions like a funnel, can't you? The widest possible reason first, the power of God on display in all the world then he narrows it to the care that God has shown for his people, the Israelites, in his saving and sanctifying of the Israelites. And now he narrows it to the very points where here's the funnel, the small end, and guess who's at that small end? I'm mixing metaphors, perhaps, but I'm going to run with it. It's you. The psalmist says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what the Lord has done for my soul this is no mere theoretical calling to you to be thankful. No, the psalmist says, think about what God has done for you. Every single one of you is unique. There's not a single one of you like the other person sitting next to you or anyone else in the world. Forget about the theory of doppelgangers. You are the only one of you. And what God is doing in your life is unique It's not the same as what he's doing in someone else's life oh there are similarities but i'm saying you are the only one that god is doing that particular thing you're the only one he's doing it in which means the testimony that i give about what the lord has done in me cannot be the same as any one other who's sitting here or listening tonight it's not possible But by confessing and testifying to what God is doing, we are saying that this greatness of God is not merely out there somewhere in the world. It's not just in the history of God's care for His people. No, the grace of our God, the work of Jesus Christ, the love our Father has, is not merely theoretical. It's mine. And it's yours. Friends, there are a lot of things to do around thanksgiving. Someone reminded me not too long ago, the easiest things to give thanks for are the things that we buy or the things that we possess. After that probably are the people who are around us. We give thanks for them or maybe the comforts of life. Let me encourage you to think very deeply about what God is doing in you, what God has done for you, the way God is at work in you, And don't be afraid to tell other people. You know, my mother and father would tell me what God was doing in them. They could have read every Bible story to me. They could have brought me to church every single Sunday. But one of the most effective ways they ever taught me to follow Jesus Christ was to say, this is what God is doing in me. Tell each other. Don't be ashamed. Don't hold back. This is your God, the God of power, the God of history, the God who is at work in you. And when you know what God is doing, you are saying to me and to those around you, come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Thanksgiving's only a few days away. Our Thanksgiving Eve service is even less time away. But I don't want it to be a mere formality. That can happen, especially when we enter into a holiday season. You have the routine, right? Who's coming? What are we going to make? But giving thanks to God should never be mere routine. And it shouldn't even be as great as a run back for a touchdown by the defense. This kind of thanksgiving is a different scale, my friend. It is a deep, considered, careful consideration of the splendor of the God who has saved us and is working in us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful tonight for your word because it leads us into places that we might ignore, ordinarily ignore. In fact, when the Bible says that your word is a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path, it's saying that it shows us where to go. Otherwise, we would be like blind people wandering around in the dark just trying to find our way. But your word shines its light on where we ought to go. It directs us in the path that we ought to seek. And tonight we pray that this message from Psalm 66, that our thanksgiving should go beyond the obligation to the heartfelt reasons that your word gives. Lord, may each one of us take that seriously, that we be moved not by sort of an obligation, a sense of duty, But we would reflect deeply, as the psalmist does, upon the works of God. And from that joy, that pure, unadulterated joy of seeing what God is doing in our world, in the history of God's care for his people, and especially in our lives, we would offer to you tremendous and heartfelt thanks. We even note now, as we finish the sermon... For the ways that you have been kind to us in giving us this day, giving us this time to worship you. For your word, for your spirit, for the companionship of others around us. For the technology that makes it possible to stream this service. All of these are gifts from you. And we rejoice in them. We praise you for them. And we ask that you would work in us such joy that we would follow you with less concern for ourselves And more joy and gratitude in you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.